purpose of Christmas. And we're going to be using a book of the same title, The Purpose of Christmas, authored by Rick Warren. And he is the uh, founder and and pastor of Saddleback Church in California. Maybe some of you have have heard of him. Um, He's a well-known author. Perhaps his most uh, uh, book that he's most well-known for is The Purpose Driven Life. And maybe you've read that. Um, So we're going to be using this along with our series. Um, But when I first picked up this book and, and read it, and this was a number of years ago, I thought this would be a really good framework for the Christ- a Christmas series. And, and, of course, with it being a framework, we know, of course, we're also going to be using Scripture. That's, this is the foundation. This is just framework for the, the series. Framework, though, that I believe is, is very practical. It's life-changing application to a story written thousands of years ago. A story told and retold ever since. Of course, I'm talking about Christmas. Because it's worth retelling again and again. I don't think we ever get too old to uh, sit expectantly and, and hear the wonder of the Christmas story. And I hope you all take a, a chance or an opportunity this, this Christmas season and pull out your Bibles and read the Christmas story um, for yourself as well as, of course, hearing it um, here on Sunday mornings as well. But this morning, um, I titled today's message, The Wonder-Filled Good News. The Wonder-Filled Good News. And this morning is going to be an introduction to the series. And then each Sunday for the next three weeks, we'll focus on just one aspect of the purpose of Christmas. I believe as we consider the purpose of Christmas using the framework in the book, The Purpose of Christmas, again, firmly supported um, by the Bible, using that as our foundation, we're going to come away with a fresh perspective on the implications of this momentous event in history, the birth of Christ. Christmas. Christmas. What is the purpose? I asked myself that a number of years ago. When I was younger, I would look forward to Christmas. Christmas mornings at our house, we would get up early, us four girls. I have three sisters. And we'd run into the living room and we'd look for our stockings because it was tradition in our house. The stockings weren't hung by the fireplace. They may have started there, but then they got hid somewhere in the living room. My parents, of course, would be awake, but they'd be, you know, a little slow getting up that morning. They wanted to give us time to hunt for our stockings and they needed a little extra rest because, of course, they were up late that night. And so with that, um, we would find our Christmas stockings, and I remember there'd be these little canisters sometimes of those shoestring potatoes. And, and I haven't eaten those for like 100, well, okay, obviously not 100 years, but a long time. And, and there would be an orange or an apple in there with other goodies and stuff like that. And so we'd open our things that are in our stockings and open our gifts with our family. And then we didn't quite literally go over the river, but we did literally go through the woods to Grandma's house, just a quarter of a mile away, and we would gather there, and we'd open gifts with Grandma and Grandpa, and we'd have hoska and coffee and tea and stuff together. 
And then in the evening, of course, before evening came, my mom was in the kitchen. And she was preparing the Christmas dinner. It was traditionally held at our house. Christmas Eve was held at my Uncle Terry and Aunt Darlene's house. And she'd be planning the, the Christmas meal and getting all the preparations made. But she'd also be baking a cake. Angel food cake. Now, I'm not an angel, but the angel food cake was for me. She'd cover it with this seven-minute frosting, and I'd get the beater because it was my birthday. My parents always made sure that I had a birthday cake on my birthday, which is Christmas Day. And so we would always have the Christmas dinner with birthday cake afterwards. And I did share my birthday party with my baby sister because her birthday was on January 7th, and so we always had parties together. I think she maybe got the short end of the stick because I don't think she ever had her birthday party on her day, ever. (laughs) But that's okay. She'll get over it one of these days. But (laughs) hopefully she doesn't pull this up and listen to it. Um, but, But even as an adult, I really enjoyed the holiday season. As it was approaching all of the things, the memories of, of gathering together as a family, decorating the tree and the house in my ambitious days. Um, if you come out today, you'll notice that the ambitiousness doesn't flow throughout the whole house anymore. It just doesn't get there. Um, I would also make hand-stamped cards, put my son's pictures in them, send them all out. We would also make a lot of uh, different uh, baked goods that we would only make during the Christmas season. Of course, with those special people in our lives, I would make hoska with my grandma's special bread that always got made at Christmas time. There would be the fresh smells of the balsam boughs and the pine and the cedar and all of those things. And I just loved it. And, And picking those right gifts, it was so much fun. Of course, staying up late when we had kids of our own, wrapping the gifts and stuffing the stockings and, of course, hiding them because that's tradition. That's what we did. I loved all the preparations. And then each year, when Christmas actually arrived, I would experience a darkness that clouded the joy and the beauty and the wonder of it all. I would put on the cheery face, but inside I was wondering, is this all there is to Christmas? I remember one year Pat and I hosted, and we we added on to our house uh, a number of years ago, and so we had the biggest space, and so the family started to gather there um, to celebrate the big family Christmas. And it was tradition that, you know, we, us sisters would get together and we'd have all the tables done, and It would be all decked out with some ridiculously expensive hand-thrown pottery plates and all those crazy things that you sometimes do for the holidays. Everything was perfect, though. We had 30-some members. Everything was all set. And it was tradition for our family back then to say a prayer before dinner. But it really was more of a recognition of family members that were no longer with us to celebrate the holidays. But since we were having this gathering at our home, and it was our turn to host and hostess, I wanted to be the one to say the prayer. And I remember that year, as soon as I finished speaking, it was like I made a beeline to the bathroom. I didn't want anyone 
to see me crying. Because in my heart, I was wondering, it's Christmas. Why do I feel so empty? I've since learned I didn't understand the purpose of Christmas. And maybe there's others here today, and we're in the same place that I, I was. Maybe that's you today. I believe you're not here by accident. God wants us to know and experience the purpose of Christmas. Others here, maybe we just need a reminder again. Things have gotten crazy. and We need a refresher of what the purpose of Christmas really is, the wonder of it all. Do you realize ignoring Christmas is not possible? Could you imagine trying to ignore, in, in our nation and at least anyway, there's hustle and bustle, people scurrying here and there, calendars are filled to the brim, trees are needing to be trimmed, Christmas songs and goodies galore, there are sights and sounds everywhere. It really isn't possible to ignore that it's Christmas time. And I say time, because unlike Thanksgiving Day and Holy Week, Christmas virtually gets the whole month of December. It can't be ignored. It is an unavoidable reality. It is Christmas. Rick Warren says this about the unavoidable reality of the first Christmas lasting even to this day. He writes in his book, He says, if you stop to think about it, it is astounding that the simple, unassuming birth of a peasant boy born 2,000 years ago in the Middle East has caused such a commotion. His birthday even causes traffic jams in places like New York City, Tokyo, and Rio de Janeiro. You may have never realized that every time you check your calendar or refer to a date or write one down, you are using Jesus Christ As your reference point. Because of Jesus, history is divided into BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. Every other event in history and every event on your calendar today is dated by how many days and years it has been since Jesus Christ appeared on earth. Even your birthday is dated by his birthday. Some of us doubly so, I suppose. But Rick Warren continues, he says, The night Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, a small group of poor shepherds was quietly tending their flocks of sheep in a nearby field. Looking up at the stars, nothing seemed any different than a thousand other nights. But what was about to happen would transform not only the shepherds' lives, but billions of lives, other lives as well. The world would never be the same. Let's read the account of the birth announcement in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The word says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them they were terrified but the angel reassured them don't be afraid he said i bring you good news that will be will bring great joy to all people 
the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was surrounded by a vast host of others, the armies of, Ain, or the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to, to those with whom God is pleased. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Wonder-filled good news. That was quite an announcement. But this didn't just come out of the midnight blue. This announcement was told of long ago, not by an angel, but by prophets. Did you know that scholars believe that Jesus' birth, life, and death fulfilled approximately 300 Old Testament prophecies? Here's a few from his birth alone. Micah was an 8th century B.C. prophet, about 800 years before Christ's, death, or Christ's birth. Among other things, Micah prophetically announced the birthplace of the Messiah. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, yeah, let me get that right. <laughs> Ephrathath, are not a small village along, among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant path, past, will come from you on my behalf. The fulfillment of Micah's prophecy of the Messiah's birthplace was recorded in various places in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the king reign of King Herod, about that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Even other nations knew of the prophecies. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And after the angelic proclamation to the shepherds in the opening passage that we read this morning, in Luke chapter 2, if we continued with verse 15, it reads, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Additionally, the Apostle John verifies Jesus' Bethlehem birthplace in his gospel as well. John chapter 7, verse 42 reads, For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem. 
the village where King David was born. Jesus' birthplace was prophesied over 700 years before his birth. Then there's the prophecy of the Messiah being born of a virgin. Spoken by the prophet Isaiah, this prophecy is also called the virgin conception. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 reads, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Speaking of this same child, the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. This fulfillment of the virgin conception was recorded by Matthew in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Matthew wrote, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God's word in Genesis chapter 22 tells us that the Messiah would come through Abraham's lineage. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18a reads, And through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was God talking to Abraham. This fulfillment is recorded for us in Luke. Luke's gospel as he lists Jesus' ancestors in chapter 3 and also in Matthew's gospel account. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 reads, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now you might be wondering, with just those few prophecies, how these prophecies can apply to our lives right now. Uh, I've only, of course, given you just a smattering of 300. We're not going to go through all 300, okay? because they don't all apply to his birth. Um, but we didn't even do all of the ones that applied specifically to his birth. But over 300 prophecies, scholars say, generally speaking anyway, of the Old Testament prophecies of Christ. It's been said that these prophecies are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, which he did, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. Although I successfully completed college algebra, I'm going to let an expert speak on the matter here. Okay? A man named Peter Stoner, Chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy in Pasadena College, was passionate about biblical prophecies. With 600 of his students from the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Stoner looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. Just eight. 
because remember now there was scholars say generally speaking over 300 he just chose eight stoner and the students came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled they wanted to harbor on the side of you know that it, that it would be not um, possible but they so they went really conservative and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies and the conclusion to his research was staggering the prospect that anyone would satisfy just those eight prophecies was 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I'll see how I do with the algebra this morning. Okay. So 10 to the 17th power means 10 with 17 zeros. A quintillion to be exact. I had to look that up because I haven't counted that high ever. But the prospect that anyone would satisfy just those eight, not the 300 or more, just those eight is one in a quintillion. Now, for all the mathematical geniuses in the room, you understand exactly what this means. For the rest of us, though, um, we usually don't work with this big of a number, and so let me use this explanation provided by Stoner in his book, Science Speaks. He described it this way. He said, let us try to visualize this chance. Okay. If you mark one of ten tickets, place them into a hat, thoroughly stir them up, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one out, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. All right, I think we can grasp that, right? Then he continues. So suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, so a quintillion silver dollars, lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover the state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mess up thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up the one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? One in a quintillion just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. It would seem impossible. But the prophets didn't use their own wisdom. They wrote down what the Holy Spirit had instructed them to write. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God is a wonder-working God. Nothing is too hard for him. 
And so if he chose to bring about the birth of our Savior by virgin conception, he could do it. If he chose to fulfill all these prophecies through our Lord, he could do it. With God, all things are possible. And God has a purpose in everything that he does. And so there is a purpose for Christmas. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at the purpose of Christmas. Next week, Eric's going to start us off by looking at Christmas is a time for celebration. And everybody's invited. That has a double meaning. Everybody's invited to hear what Eric has to say next week, but everyone is invited for Christmas celebration. Reading one last time for the morning from the purpose of Christmas. Warren writes, regardless of your background, religion, problems, or circumstances, Christmas really is the best news you can get. Beneath all the visible signs and sounds of Christmas are some simple yet profound truths that can transform your life for the better here on earth and for forever in eternity. But it all starts with believing. Believing that when the right time came, God sent his own son. He came as the son of a human mother and lived under Jewish law. Believing that God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When we choose to believe God, we can believe in his purpose for Christmas. Simple yet profound truths. Truths that can transform our lives for the better here on earth and for forever and eternity. We can experience the purpose of Christmas only through Christ. The question this morning is, do you believe that the God who created all things, the heavens, the earth, all the stars, knowing them by name, putting them in place, the God who created the first human being out of dust, which he made the dust, breathed life into him, into his lungs, gave him life, the God that holds our ecosystem in place, the God who holds our very lives, do you believe that he could bring the fulfillment of the prophecy that he gave to the prophets concerning Christ's birth? I don't know where you're at this morning, but I hope you'll receive the good news that the angel had announced on that first Christmas, recorded for us in the word. Prophecy so very long ago. I hope you'll receive it as part of God's plan for you. The good news is priceless. It will last forever. And it's extremely practical. Something that we can use every day for the rest of our lives. It is for anyone and everyone but only those who believe will truly experience it. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word is a continuum. And your word always 
is in alignment with itself. And so, Lord, when we read your word, we know that it is true. And those things that were prophesied years and years and years and years ago, things that would be impossible if it were not for you to have those things come about. And, Lord, that includes the birth of our Savior. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in the room this morning that has yet to truly experience Christmas, they are where I used to be, where you just wonder what Christmas is all about. If there's anyone in the room today, Lord, I pray that you just continue to whisper to their hearts. Reveal your truth. Help them to hear the good news that you have a purpose for Christmas. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we are privileged to pray. Amen. Amen.